Let's again look to God in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to look into your word. We pray that you would teach us what you would have for us this day so that our lives will be changed and transformed as we again look at the prophet Jonah. Through Christ we pray. Amen. If uh, you would desire, you can fill in the blanks or take notes under the message notes in in the bulletin as we look at what we can learn from this uh, brief little book that, as I said in one of my other sermons, is sandwiched between uh, Obadiah and Micah. We have this tiny little book, this odd little book, uh, that we've been looking at here as we, and here this morning as we look at the third chapter of Jonah. As we discovered in the first chapter, Jonah was commissioned by God to go to Nineveh. He was told to do that, but the people of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, they had a reputation for being ruthless and very, very violent persons. So Jonah, without speaking to God at all, decides to take matters into his own hands and to try to escape from the presence of the Lord by going the opposite direction and he walks the 60 miles from Gathhefer to the seaport of Joppa, down along the coast, where he boards a ship. Bought a ticket to, to the most exotic place that he could think of, the city of Tarshish. At that time, it was one of the most exotic and unusual places. And he boards a ship to try to escape from the eye of God. But as we discover in the succeeding chapters, Jonah does not, or God does not give up on this reluctant prophet. So as he's in the ship, God sends a violent storm to confront and to make Jonah willing to go. When the sailors became aware that the storm, this violent, horrendous storm, was Jonah's fault. And after trying to row the ship to land, finally the sailors take Jonah's instruction. They take Jonah's advice and they throw this hapless prophet overboard. But God still isn't finished with him. Because God sends a huge fish, or today we might say God sends a whale to swallow Jonah. And so Jonah finds himself in the belly of the whale. It's interesting to see the artist depicting this one. As he's in the belly of the whale, it looks like he's preparing his sermon, writing his notes, as he's, and I think he's recognizing, oh, I'm going to need to go to Nineveh after all. So at least this is what one artist depicts what Jonah is doing as he's sitting at his office writing writing his sermon. So in the belly of the whale, in desperation, he called out to God in prayer. And as uh, Chelsea pointed out last week, that most of his prayer was was memorized scripture. I'm sure he didn't have time to take the scriptures that that, uh, that he was familiar with. 
So he had to depend on these scriptures that he had studied and memorized, many of them from the Psalms. With seaweed wrapped around his head, as Jonah says, and with the smelly and the yucky digestive juices that were all a part of Jonah being there in the belly of the whale, he implores God to save him. He comes to God after all and is willing to talk to God now that he is in such desperate straits. He finally has a conversation with God and then the whale vomited him out onto dry land. So let's pick up the story there as we look at chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, as Jonah was getting dried off from the messy and the partially digested food clinging to his clothes, he hears the word of God come to him once again. So we recognize that again, God is not finished with this wayward prophet. And Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, the great city, proclaim to it the message that I tell you. And at this stage, now, this emphasizes, this verse emphasizes that God is the divine authority over the prophet Jonah. You go and proclaim the message that I tell you. Proclaim the message that God gives to him. Jonah is to proclaim, to read aloud the message that God gives to him. A prophet, as we looked at a number of the other prophets, or at least I listed them, the other uh, minor prophets, 
the prophet usually had some leeway to tailor the message to the particular situation, the particular circumstance that, we, that they found themselves. But Jonah lost that privilege. Jonah was told to go and proclaim the message that God gives to him, to share that message with the residents of Nineveh. This is the second time around, and that's what I've called my sermon, a second chance. Jonah has a second chance, and more about that later. So Jonah went to preach to the people of the great city of Nineveh. But it's interesting. Once again, Jonah becomes completely silent before God. He doesn't say anything in response. Later, the last chapter, he says a lot to God again. In chapter 2 and in chapter 4, he is busy speaking to God. But here in this chapter, once again, after the second commission, he doesn't say one word to God. He has absolutely no communication with God whatsoever. So as Jonah trudges along toward where he needs to carry out his assignment, as he's going to Nineveh, his thoughts and his attitudes remain hidden as he faced this formidable enemy of his people. And these people really were barbaric. They were violent persons. The Assyrians were known by, in the, in ancient, in the ancient history, they were known for their violence and the way they, the way they treated their enemies. So finally, he arrived at his great city, a city so large that it took three days to walk across it. Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. And here he goes a day's journey and he proclaims this cryptic, truncated, shortened message that's only five words in the original language. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown or 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. So notice that he barely does, and there's a picture of Jonah, uh, what one artist says uh, as uh, Jonah is preaching to the people at Nineveh, giving this, this very brief message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, as we think about it, he goes a day's journey And so he didn't even get to the center of the city. He just does his his assignment that God gives to him. He does it in uh, very partially, not really wholeheartedly. It's kind of like, I tried to think of an example, and an example I can think of is uh, perhaps a mother tells the 12-year-old to go clean up your room or clean your room. And so the 12-year-old goes in and picks up the things that are on the bed and the things, the clothing that's strewn on the floor, and he tells his mom, good enough, he's done. Well, that's kind of the way Jonah did. He goes a day's journey rather than doing it completely, and we we aren't even sure whether Jonah gave the complete message because it's very, very brief and very short. 
He, he, and he does not tell the people how to respond to this dire warning. He simply announces the judgment. He announces the proclamation, 40 more days and you, you've had it, people. God is done with you. So, we'll never know for sure, and maybe we'll know in heaven if we ask uh, uh, Jonah or the Lord whether the people of Nineveh got the full message that really God had given to, to Jonah, whether that was really the full message, or Jonah just decided to shorten it, to condense it really down to the, to the brief, uh, brief point that, uh, that Jonah had received. But the people of Nineveh believed the message, and they took the message to heart, and they proclaimed a fast. And even though Jonah didn't ask them to fast, it says the people began to fast from the smallest to the greatest. Everybody. Now the sailors, the mariners on the boat to Tarshish, they had some evidence. They were in the midst of a storm. They had some evidence about the judgment of God. But here, the people believed Jonah even though there was no evidence that God was going to do what God said. They simply, there was no evidence of the destruction of the city. So the Ninevites, by faith, believed and accepted the message of Jonah and repented by participating in the fast. The sermon is partly Bible study, so let's look at, um, at uh, some parallels between chapters 1 and 3, and this comes from Alan Rudy Froze where he, he draws some significant parallels between chapters 1 and 3. In chapter 1, we find that God calls and Jonah goes the other way. In chapter 3, God again calls and Jonah goes to Nineveh. And Jonah is on the big ocean. In chapter 3, Jonah is in the big city. And chapter 1, Jonah is not speaking to God, and yet he seems to speak for God when he says to the sailors, throw me in, throw me in the ocean. In chapter 3, also Jonah is not speaking to God, and yet he seems to speak for God when he tells the Ninevites, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And in chapter 1, Jonah is with and speaking to the pagans. And again, he is speaking to the pagans. Uh, in chapter 3, uh, Assyria or uh, Nineveh was very much a pagan city. And then in chapter 1, the sailors were saved by God. That's very clear that the people, the, the mariners, were saved by God. And here in chapter 3, the pagans are saved by God. Now, it's interesting also, as this, the narrator continues telling the, the, the narrative, that finally the king gets into the act. Jonah doesn't personally go to the king. He doesn't go into the center of the city. Probably that's where the king's throne was. But the, the, the writer says the king laboriously and ponderously, at least that's the way it, the, that's the way it reads, one can infer, that the the king slowly and ponderously 
rises from his throne and in a sign of repentance and mourning, put, repented of his kingly robes, put those, puts those aside and puts on sackcloth, the clothes of mourning, and sits in ashes. So he turns, he repented of his kingly robes, and he announces to his people a much fuller and a better sermon than this foreign prophet who announced the destruction. The king's sermon is found in verses 7 to 9. This is from the, the New Living Translation. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from the evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now the fast that the king proclaims, abstaining from both food and water, and also that everything, the people and including the animals, must put on sackcloth, sackcloth, and they must not take in food or water. Uh, here's the king, uh, or at least, uh, yeah, a person in sackcloth and ashes, and the dog, it's kind of hard to see, but the dog has, has sackcloth on it, says so one artist uh, portrays as to how this may have looked. So uh, the animals, like the dog, are even put in sackcloth. And it may be, as Eugene Root points out, that this story laughs a bit about the, the piety of the king, that the, the king goes a bit, uh, the fast, the people were already fasting, and when the king gets in the act, and uh, the king reinforces the action, and seems, what I would say, is a bit over the top to say, well, you're already fasting, but now all the animals need to, to be fasting also, and including the animals need to be dressed in sackcloth. That seems to be a bit, uh, bit over the top. But the purpose of the fast was clearly spelled out. His subjects were called to stop their evil ways and to turn from their reliance on violence, to turn from their violent ways. They're called by the king to repent and to go a different direction. And they are not to assume, not to assume that God will relent, that God will repent, that God will change his mind. They aren't to assume that. But the king is certainly hoping that indeed God will relent. God was merciful. And when the king saw how they repented and how they responded to this message, this half-hearted prophet gave to them, God did relent. Eugene Roop says, and I quote, the story of God's case against Nineveh is over. The prophetic task has been successfully completed. The prophetic announcement of disaster, the response of repentance, and the action of divine forgiveness. The final statement, God did not do it, 
provides the period at the end of the narrative. For God and for Nineveh, the story is over. For Jonah, it's not over. End of quote. And next Sunday, in chapter 4, we'll see how the story is not over and where the book ends, but indeed there is no closure. And you'll see that next Sunday. So now let's cross the bridge. Let's cross the bridge from, the, from all this, from ancient times to our day. What can we learn? Number one, that God is a God of mercy and a God of second chances. Jonah was given many chances. He spared from drowning when the sailors threw him overboard. And he was given then a second chance when the divine commission came again, when the fish spit him out, and he was again told to go to Nineveh. And as I stated in chapter 1, he needed to face into his fears and to indeed go to confront the people of Nineveh, even though they were enemies of the children of Israel. And Jonah finally realized that no matter where he went, God's eye would be on him. There was no place that he could escape from the intense gaze of God. It was simply impossible to escape from the hand of God. And so he needed to share the prophetic message. The prophet Ezekiel describes the intensity of his call when he says, The Spirit lifted me up and took me away. I went in bitterness and turmoil, but the Lord's hold on me was strong. And I imagine the Lord's hold on him was somehow like a heavy hand on the shoulder that he somehow couldn't resist. And Ezekiel says, He went away in bitterness and turmoil. But also the people of Nineveh were given a second chance. And after they repented, God did not do what God had planned. The prophet Jeremiah proclaimed that God would do that indeed. In Jeremiah 18, where Jeremiah says, the Lord says that if I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. In other words, God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah that if the nation repents, I will give them a second chance. Number two, the second learning. God does not violate human free will. I believe that Jonah could have once again defied God. He did defy God, and God does not violate our free will to do what we want to do. Rup says, somehow we sense with Jonah that the God who calls does not remove freedom of response from the called one, end of quote. 
Ori O. Miller was a leader in developing such Mennonite institutions at Mennonite World Conference, Mennonite Central Committee, and Eastern Mennonite Missions. And after, as a young man, after Ori Miller moved from Indiana to Lancaster County, he expected that someday he would be called uh, to be a pastor. And they were attending the effort of Mennonite Church, and that's where he expected to be called as pastor. But that did not happen. The call to pastoral work never materialized. So Ori accepted his call, a call to give leadership in many, many areas. And that is described in the book, My Calling to Fulfill. Thirdly, God used a pagan king to preach a better sermon than Jonah, who was, Jonah, who was the religious prophet from God's chosen people. God used this pagan king to strengthen what the people already are doing, what the people already know. Quoting Alan Rudy Froze, the book of Jonah here becomes a critique of the prophets who think that they are the only brokers of God's word. This is talent night in 4th century BCE. God will use fish, plants, worms, and even the words of the pagan king to bring about God's will. God will sometimes use our words, but will also act despite, beside, or in opposition to our words. End of quote. Something to think about, isn't it? That God doesn't need, that we are not indispensable in the kingdom. That God will use other people and other things, even fish and plants and, and a small tiny worm to accomplish what God once done. We'll see that in the next chapter. And God will use unlikely people or people we would say are very unlikely people to accomplish the work that God is doing. And we might think, well, what is that person? What does that person have gifts to do? Or why are they being used that way? But God will do what God desires and it's not confined to our own, our own limitations. We've been known, as I've stated before from this pulpit, we've been known as the quiet in the land. But it's time for us to shed that image, and it's time for us to shed that mantra and to be the ones who are connecting with our neighbors and with our friends. Number four, notice that the obedience of one, Jonah, even though it was half-heartedly done, brought about the salvation of an entire city. God used Jonah's obedience. Finally, Jonah gets it, and he does what needs to be done. And even though he does it half-heartedly, the whole city is saved. There was one great big revival. What an amazing result. All the people repented from their evil. And everyone, small and great, participated in the fast. Isn't that amazing? He used the, God used the half-hearted preaching of the prophet. And the people repented and were saved. would invite the praise team to come forward now as I make a couple other uh, concluding comments.
Yes, sisters and brothers, we serve an amazing God. We serve a God who does not violate our free will, and yet a God who continues to pursue us to carry out God's will. We serve a God who uses other people and other things to accomplish the will of God. We serve a God of second chances, a God who gives us second chances. We also serve a God of mercy, a God of grace, and a God of love. And we'll now sing about that God of love.